Good morning, women of strength. Today, we have an awesome episode for you. And I know you're all awesome. Like All these episodes are awesome, but this one is pretty stinking awesome and unique. It's actually, I don't know if you guys remember Chelsea back in the day when we recorded. She was like episode her. four. Yeah, I, yeah, four or five maybe. She had a V back after two C-sections. That was breach. And today we have grace with us and she also had a breach v back after two cesarean birth and to throw in the extra uniqueness this was all during covid19 and when restrictions and policies were changing all the time and new things were happening and man did she get a lot of curveballs thrown her way we were talking a little bit before about how probably i would have been so stressed like i really would have but she was like so calm and just amazing through all of it. So I cannot wait to hear the story, but I'm going to turn over the time to Julie really fast to read the review of the week. All right. I'm also so excited to talk to Grace and we're going to talk a little bit more about her um, after our intro, but I wanted to read a review from R. Loveland, and the title is Love, Love, Love. And this is from Apple Podcasts, and she said, this is a podcast I wish I had been able to listen to when I was expecting my first two children. Luckily, it was here for my third pregnancy. I went into my third pregnancy wanting a VBAC after two C-sections, but feeling totally ignorant on everything birth-related. I found the VBAC link early on and listened to every episode during my 90-minute one-way drive to the nearest VBAC supportive provider. I learned so much from the episodes and the fear and uncertainty I felt at the beginning of pregnancy slowly faded away the more I listened and the more I learned from Julie and Megan. Thank you for spending your precious time sharing your wisdom and experience with us. Y'all are so expiring, so inspiring. Expire? Do we expire? We're expired. No, we inspire. <laughs> you are so inspiring and empowering. In December, we welcomed our third child via VBAC after two C-sections. I felt so knowledgeable and prepared for the birth. Thanks to you, ladies. Knowledge is power. Heart emoji. Ah, I love that. I picked that one specifically because it's VBAC after two C-sections, just like this episode. (laughs) Awesome. Good job. You always do stuff like that. It works out. Well, this one I did on purpose. The other stuff is like hippie woo magic, like universe, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of creepy, kind of awesome. I don't know. It's a good mix. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Do you want a VBAC but don't know where to start? It's easy to feel like we need to figure it all out on our own. That's what we used to do, and it was the loneliest, most ineffective thing we have ever done. That's why Megan and I created our signature course, How to VBAC, the ultimate preparation course for parents that you can find at the VBAClink.com. It is the most comprehensive VBAC preparation course in the world, 
perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. Together, Megan and I have helped over 800 parents get the birth that they wanted, and we are ready to help you too. Head on over to thevbacklink.com to find out more and sign up today. That's thevbacklink.com. See you there. Okay. Well, we cannot wait to dive in. We want to give you all the time, Grace, to be able to share this story with all of these listeners. And I can't, I just, I literally can't wait because I have been following. If you guys didn't know this about Grace, she has a podcast of her own. It's called All In With The Allens. So her and her husband, Ricardo, they have a podcast together and they share just such a wide topic of life. And her husband's an NFL player. So they talk about that and they talk about life and raising kids and Lately, she has been sharing her pregnancy journey and update and her reason why she wanted to be back and all of these things. So it's been so fun. If you really like go listen to their podcast, they're super fun to listen to. They're, I think, Grace, are you on all platforms? I listen to you on Apple. Yes. Okay. Apple, Spotify, and Google. Perfect. So there you go, you guys. Go find them and give them a listen. You're going to fall in love with them just like we have. So and sweet. Thank you. Really, though. Really. <laughs> I love you guys. And um, yeah, we're so honored that you're with us today and would love to turn the time over to share these amazing stories. And if you would, share a little bit about your first two. I know the first one was yes. Breach. Right? Correct. Second. So it um, wasn't Breach, though, right? Like you just... That's right. Because your I doctor think was that- like... You, yeah, you're not going to do this. Like you're not, yeah. you're in prodromal labor, but you're not going into labor. <laughs> so share Pretty us the story. Wait, 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 wait. Really, yes. Before we get into the story, yeah. I have to tell a story. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, you know Grace. me? I, okay. I always interrupt you, Megan, and I always am distracted and sharing stories, but I have to tell you about the time that Grace messaged us on Instagram, completely unexpected. But she messaged us and she said, hey, I have a podcast. I talked about the VBAC link in our podcast and I thought you should know. And I was like, oh, well, that's so nice. Let's listen to the podcast. And then I listened to the podcast and it's <laughs> the Rico Allen from Atlanta Falcons. Wait, is that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Oh my gosh. I thought. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's because I, yes. I said his like full name. Yeah. Full name. <laughs> yeah. Which is, yeah. Yep. It was Rico Allen. It's Atlanta awesome. Falcons. My husband looked him up. He's a, he's a safety. He's a really great player. And I was like, holy cow, this is like a big deal. And so I went and listened to the Aww. podcast, fell in love with these two. Like, seriously, she was so sweet. And she said so many nice things about us and our course and our podcast on her podcast. And so if you're just, it just warms my heart and makes me so happy when people reach out to us and share share us with other people. And so um, this one was an extra special surprise. And we are big football fans in my house. And so thank oh, you that. so much for reaching out. And no, I'm thank you so guys. Glad. <laughs> thank I'm you guys so, glad. so much. I mean, every bit of it. It's just so crazy the way that things come, you know, full circle that like I'm sitting here talking to you guys now, you know, that my birth has, has passed. Our baby is here. And it's just, it's unbelievable because... I spent so much of my pregnancy and my preparation listening to your podcast just to mentally prepare and to educate myself. And, and I feel like knowledge is power, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to doing things that I don't want to say aren't really the norm, but you know, VBACs are definitely 
a special thing. And then VBACs after two cesareans, you, those are special as well. And you hear even less about them. So for me, I was just trying to absorb every bit of knowledge that I could during my pregnancy. And you guys provided so much of that to me, knowledge and, and just confidence. When you hear other women share their stories, it gives you confidence in the fact that you can do the same. So I really meant everything that I said, and Mm, I encourage everybody, honestly, everybody that reaches out to me about it to, to use the resources that you guys have provided. So thank you. Well, we appreciate that. So I have three children now. My first, he was breech at 38 weeks. I thought that I was in labor. He had been head down my entire pregnancy. I woke up in a wet bed thinking, oh my gosh, my water has broken. I was so excited. I was a first time mom. It was like seven o'clock in the morning. I had a doctor's appointment at 9am. So I figured I'll just go to my appointment and see, you know, I wasn't having contractions, nothing that led me to, you know, led me to think, oh, we should go right to the hospital. So I waited for my appointment, got there. They did the ultrasound and they were like, actually, this is not amniotic fluid. Your child has flipped from being head down to now being in the breech position. And the pressure from that caused your bladder, you know, to, Oh my gosh! it caused you to pee. So here I am thinking I'm finally in labor, my first baby. And turns out it wasn't labor. It was my head down, my entire pregnancy baby flipping to a breech position two weeks before his due date. So being a young mom, not really knowing any better, um, I took my doctor's advice and we scheduled a C-section. And that was just what we did. I came to terms with it. I didn't think a whole lot about it because I thought that it was my only option. So coming around um, 19 months later, so our first two are 19 months apart, I was pregnant with our daughter and I desired to have a VBAC. I didn't educate myself on it. I thought that saying to my practice and to my provider, you know, I really would like to be back. I thought that that would be enough. Again, looking back, hindsight is always 2020. And I realize now that is not enough. Even if your provider tells you that they are VBAC supportive, I think it's very important to find out just how truly VBAC supportive your provider is, which I did not do. So when I was having a little bit of prodromal labor is what they ended up calling it. They didn't give me the option to induce at all. It was just, honestly, what was said to me was right now you have a healthy living baby inside of you. And if you go home tonight and come back at another time, we're not sure that will be the case. So as any woman I think would do, you say, okay, my baby is my priority. Let's just do this thing. Yeah. So that is how my second cesarean happened. And That one was much tougher for me to come to terms with just because I think deep down in my heart, I knew that that wasn't really what it had to be. But when you're, when you're faced with a statement like that and you're so strongly emotional at the end of your pregnancy, anyway, you're ready to meet your baby and you're impatient and you're frustrated. And then the doc, the doctor, a person that you trust says something like that to you. It's not really the time for you to, I don't want to say argue it, but to even kind of question at that point, at least for me, it wasn't. So we did the C-section, it went smoothly, but coming home to another child recovering while recovering from a second C-section, I was like, if there are any more babies in our future, I cannot do this again. Just because with the first one, you're able to rest. It's you and it's the baby. But when you come home and you have toddlers, or in my case, a 19-month-old that needed me, the physical recovery was so much more challenging because of having 
another child need me, if that makes a lot of sense. So I was like, if there's more babies in our future, I am going to do everything that I can to not have to have another cesarean. So I, I kind of put it on the back burner. We waited two and a half years between our second and our third to, to get pregnant. And I went to my, the same practice again. And at my 12 week appointment, I asked them, I said, you know, I'm really, I'm really interested in what my options are as far as birth goes this time around. And they said to me, well, you don't have an option. You've had two C-sections. So this one will be a C-section as well. And we'll schedule it for 39 weeks. If anything is not reassuring, we could do it as early as 38. And I felt defeated in that moment. And I, I looked at my doctor and I said, you know, is there any way I can at least just be given a trial of labor? Like, I just don't understand why this has to be a C-section just because the past two were like, can I at least have a shot at giving this a try? And the doctor said, you know, no, it's against our hospital policy. Once you've had two cesareans, all of your future pregnancies will end in C-section. And then she said to me, the thing that I knew in my bones was, it was the ultimate reason I knew I had to really educate myself and take matters into my own hands. And she said to me, and you should truly contemplate having your tubes tied while we have you on the table. Oh, oh my gosh. And so in that annoying. moment, I was like, yeah. first of all, I had horrible hyperemesis. I was in and out of the hospital this time around. I mean, I was, it was, it was a brutal first trimester. And then to hear, to hear her say that to me. And even with everything I had gone through being so sick, being in and out of the hospital, I knew that that wasn't right. You know what I'm saying? And anyone that's had hyperemesis out there, you know, that is the pits. Like it does not get a whole lot harder than surviving with, with that. And then to hear her say to me, like, you should have your tubes tied. And even in that moment, the fact that that didn't cross my mind as being an acceptable thing, I was like, there's no way that this is going to be the right practice for me this time along. So I continued with them until, until my anatomy scan. And I just was kind of doing my own, my own homework, my own research on the side. I, I discovered your podcast between that 12 week appointment and my 20 week anatomy scan. And I literally binge listened to every single one of them on my daily walks or whenever the kids would nap, whenever I would have time, I listened to them. And I just remember making mental notes of like trends that I would hear in multiple women's stories. And I started a little notepad with all the things that stood out to me, different types of resources people had mentioned. And I took all of that into my own hands and just kind of explored for myself. So I went back for my anatomy scan. I ended up having a different provider. It's like a practice of eight. So you never really knew who you were going to get. And this time I felt like, okay, I have more knowledge than I had at the 12 week appointment. I know terminology now. I, I have a little bit of policy behind me that I've read about as far as the hospital goes, as far as the state goes. And I felt better equipped to truly have that conversation, but I was mentally prepared walking into that appointment to know, okay, there's a very good chance that I might leave here today and never return to this practice again. And I was ready for that. So had a conversation with my provider. This one was much more open-minded. And I just said, you know, these are my reasons. We, we want to have more children. I had a lot of scar tissue build up after my second cesarean. And I knew this because when my husband and I tried to get pregnant this third time around, it took quite a bit longer. And that wasn't something in the past that we had dealt with. So I went to a, 
um, a naturopath doctor who does something called thermography scanning, which is essentially where they use this like high definition camera lens that can pick up deviations in temperature and they photograph different regions of your body. And if there's temperature that's higher in one areas will show up red if that makes sense yes. so this my is like whole... so interesting to me i know so, in fact, i want to get a hold this. of your doc that yep. did it and <laughs> well, i want to interview them come to atlanta seriously it's this can we, is can we like bunk with you and rico and your say, kids come hang out bring your kids and go see this doctor because we i mean i had to seek to. her out because i went to my ob and they're like there's nothing wrong and i'm like that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense because something's not working and nothing yeah. has changed mm-hmm. you know so it turns out i had so much inflammation in my lower abdomen that she thought it was endometriosis until i told her i'm like well i've actually had two cesareans, two cesareans. and she's like well this is scar tissue So she helped me take some supplements, taught me just like some different things that I could do. And I was pregnant within the month, which is truly incredible. But it does show that, you know, there was past trauma from those from those Mm -hmm. C-sections before. And that was even more of a driving factor for me to fight as hard as I could to not have to put my body through that a third time, if not absolutely necessary. So I had that conversation after the anatomy scan this doctor was way more understanding. And she was like, look, you sound like you really know what you're talking about. She's like, I'm going to be honest with you. She's like, you are the perfect candidate to have a trial of labor. She said, you have had two lower transverse incisions. She said, we sutured you up super well both times. She said, the only problem is that we are not a practice that can give this to you. And I said, okay, you know, but I was, I was prepared for her to tell me I was an absolute crazy woman. So for her to, respond that way to me was like a win. I was like, great, you know, you're not disrespecting me by any means, like you're understanding where I'm coming from. And so I just said, you know, is there is there anybody that you could recommend for me, you know, to interview or just, you know, where do I really go from here? And I had already had a few names up my sleeve that I had researched in the Atlanta area. And she said, well, you know, I'm not really from from here. I've only been in the state two years. She's like, so let me talk to a few people. And I'll get back to you by the end of the afternoon. So I went out in the parking lot that day and I just felt like, okay, I'm really going, I'm going to make this happen. And I went out and I called Dr. Tate, which is the number and the name of the person that I had saved in my phone as the person I thought that I would work with if I really did change practices. So I called and I was introduced to myself and the woman that answered the phone was just, it was such a breath of fresh air because I called and I said, hi, my name is Grace Allen. I was just calling because I've had two C-sections and I really want to have a VBAC. And she was like, okay, great. How can we help you? And I was like, I would, you know, I'd love to come in for a consult. And I, and so I got in two weeks later, ended up going and meeting with Dr. Tate in Atlanta. And he was the most honest provider in the sense that he didn't tell me everything that I wanted to hear. Essentially. He's like, you know what? You've had two C-sections and I can't promise you that I can give you a V-back. He said, but what I can promise you is that if this pregnancy ends up in a C-section, it's because it absolutely had to be for this, for the safety and the health of yourself and your baby. And when he said that to me, I was like, you know what? This is my guy. And I'll be very honest to anybody that's listening in the Atlanta area or even like Tennessee, people travel to see him. His office is super dated. You would walk in and if you're looking for like glitz and glam and 
<laughs> all of those things, you are not going to get it here. Like, I'm just going to tell you right now, like if it was my first pregnancy, I would have turned around and ran out the door. But you know better when you've done things a few times and it's not about any of those things. So he provided me with from start to finish the best care. And I didn't become his patient until I was 27 weeks pregnant. So I went in for my 27 week appointment, baby was head down, everything was great. You know, we discussed all of the risks that come with the VBAC, all of the risks that come with the repeat C-section. And that's something that I really want to touch on is that prior to this doctor, I had only ever heard about the risks of a VBAC. Nobody talks about the risks of repeat C-section. Yep. Exactly. So, so this exactly is right. something that totally blew my mind when I realized this because my practice before and every person that I communicated to, like, I want to have a VBAC, the first thing everyone said to me is, well, your uterus is going to rupture. Right. But no one ever said to me, oh, a third C-section causes X, Y, and Z and all of these other things. It was almost like this one-sided argument of, have a VBAC in your uterus is going to rupture, have a C-section, you're going to be completely safe and healthy. And in reality, obviously, that's not the case. Well, and they so, even ruled out the fact that like you weren't getting pregnant and stuff like that to like, oh, it's fine. Everything's normal. But it's like, well, let's look at the history. Like you have had two cesareans. There is a chance you have scar tissue that's affecting this. You know, absolutely. Like, that absolutely. Didn't even, they just completely brushed it off there even, you know. They did. They did. And that's something that I think that, you really, again, it's doctors. I'm all about medicine. I actually wanted to be a doctor. I have the utmost respect for doctors and for the medical field. I don't want to sound like I'm coming down on anybody because that's not the case. Like I strongly believe that there is a time and a place for C-sections. Absolutely. Like they, they do save lives, but I also believe that there's a lot of them that could have been prevented. And that, and that's just the way that I feel. So I was very thankful with Dr. Tate that he laid out the risks of both sides and he was that way up until the very end. So 27 weeks, baby was still head down. We were on track. Everything was looking great. I show up at 30 weeks and he was just doing, I can't remember what they call it when they like just touch your stomach to figure out baby's position. But he was like, you know what? We need to do a quick ultrasound. I'm not sure this baby is still head down. And my heart just sank because I felt like, okay, I have this great provider. I gained the courage to walk away from the practice that delivered both of my past babies that I have this relationship with, that I've sent girlfriends to, that I speak highly Mm -hmm. of, and now my baby is breech. And it was just, it was, it was honestly devastating. I'm not going to sugarcoat at all. I feel like I can relate because with my VBAC after C-section baby, he kept going breach. He went breach like three times. And Ugh. like we would flip him. And I kept telling my midwife, I swear, if the reason why I have to have a third C-section is because this baby is breech, I'm going to be pissed. Like, yes. Yes. come on. I've never had a baby go breach. Like ever. Why is this baby going breach? It, and it was so just defeating every time it would go in and she'd be like, crap, he's breech again. <laughs> I know. And it's honestly, and it, it's one of those things where, you know, so Dr. Tate was like, you know, the baby is breached, but the good news is you're only 30 weeks. He's like, there's plenty of time between now and when you deliver that this baby will surely find its way down. He's like three out of every 100 babies are breech at term. And I was like, okay, so there's the silver lining. So then this is like Wednesday, the beginning of March, Thursday, all of the COVID-19 stuff breaks out and I get a phone call from the office saying, 
hey, we're going to just do strictly online visits up until your 36-week appointment. If anything goes wrong, obviously call us. So I was in the dark from weeks 30 to 36 at home during COVID-19, trying to figure out what position my baby was in. So I, would, oh I didn't gosh. have the appointments like I normally would, where I would have confirmation of baby's position. I didn't have a provider that was able to help me manipulate the baby at this point. It was just, I was home with my other two children, praying, like asking the universe. I was doing mock combustion on my back porch every night, like all of the spinning babies techniques. I was visiting a Webster chiropractor. I mean, when I tell you I was doing all of the things to flip this baby, like I, I truly mean that I was it. And it became almost to the point where it was unhealthy for my mind because it was all that I could focus on. But I knew I was like, if I don't get this baby head down, like all it's, it's not going, it's not going to be okay. You know, we're going to end up in a C-section. And so finally 36 weeks comes along and I get my first in office appointment after six weeks and we do the ultrasound and he's like, this baby's really comfy. It's still breech. And I was like, Oh my goodness. And I told him, I'm like, I've been on spinning babies. I've been doing all of the things. And he's like, he's like, at this point, he's like, you need to consider he's and again, laid out all of the risks, the pros, the cons of an ECV, which is the external version when they try to manipulate the baby. And I told him, I was like, I need, let me like do a little bit of homework and let me get back to you about it. Like, I didn't just want to go for it without talking to my husband, without weighing the pros and cons. And, and I remember hearing some celebrity had it done and said it was the most painful thing they've ever encountered, which at this point I was willing to take on the pain, but I wanted to make sure that the, the benefits outweighed potential negative outcomes. So I went home, did all my research, talked to my husband and decided I was going to give it a try because I know myself and I knew that I didn't want to leave any cards on the table. I wanted to give this everything I had so that however it ended up, I was able to know that I did everything because that that's what would give me peace. So we decided to do it. It was unsuccessful and it, it was painful. There's no doubt about it. He actually performs ECV in his offices or in his office, which is a little bit different than a lot of providers. So most people will have you go into the hospital. They will administer drugs you can either do like an epidural or some people will have it's it begins with a B and I can't remember. Do you guys know the name of the muscle relaxer that they use? I, I can't remember. Al- I know what you're Albuta something. Maybe? Something. It's something Al-butyrine, like that. Something like that. Something so they like that. Shoot that in your arm and that helps your muscles to relax. And they say that helps to easier manipulate the baby into a head down position. So he doesn't do any of these things. He just, he's successful. His success rate for ECV is like nine out of 10. So again, I'm like, great, you know, these odds are in my favor. This is going to be fantastic. Oh gosh, you poor thing. Like my heart the, is just aching. Like you, we do the ECV in everything. his office. I have my mask and my gloves on, you know, like trying to breathe through the pain no. with a mask. And my husband can't be there because of COVID. So I'm completely alone and it, it's not successful. And at that point I was driving home in my car. I'm now 36 weeks pregnant. And I just remember saying to myself, like, is there something that I'm missing here? Like, is there something that I'm meant to, to learn from this that I'm, that I'm just overlooking? Like maybe I'm trying to be too in control of this, or maybe I'm focusing on the wrong things. Like that's for me, that's how I try to look at stuff that happens in my life that is hard because I feel like if we just 
get stuck in the emotion of it and we don't think about the lesson, it's harder to move forward. So I was driving home. I was obviously devastated crying in the car thinking like, okay, this is, this is the end, you know, but I was like, what am I missing? And for some reason I just kept hearing like surrender. Like I just, I just need Mm. to, I just need to surrender. Like obviously keep doing all the things I'm doing and continue to try, but just maybe like let go a little bit of the specifics of this whole thing. So I still did my moxibustion. I still saw my chiropractor. I still did my prenatal massage. I still prayed about it. I still walked, you know, I still slept on my left side. I mean, I was sleeping with a peanut ball between my legs on my left side for weeks. Like that's not comfortable. I was literally oh doing all of it. And it, and it didn't, it didn't end up, you know, the baby didn't end up flipping. And so the next appointment we, we talked and he was like, well, you know, I am one of the only providers still that will deliver vaginal breach. And I was like, really? And he was like, yes, I, I will. He said, there has to be, you know, there, there is a set of guidelines that the baby has to fall within in order for me to consider it. He said, because at the end of the day, a healthy baby and a healthy mom is the goal, you know, so as long as the baby falls within these certain ranges and it's something that you're open to, I would be willing to deliver this baby breach. So I asked him, I said, you know, what are these guidelines? And he has this ratio. So it's, he was, he was an engineer before he went back to medical school and it's super cool to see the way he's brought that into his practice. So he has this ratio of 1.1, which the baby has to fall within. So the baby has first, first the baby has to be frank breech, meaning it's completely folded in half with feet up. It cannot be footling because mm-hmm. then you have the risk of like the cord dropping and all of the other things. So the baby, first of all, has to be frank breech. And then second of all, the ratio of, belly circumference to head circumference has to fall within that range of 1.1 and the whole concept behind that is that if a mother is able to push the abdomen with the legs of a baby out on her own there's no reason that she shouldn't be able to get a head out that's significantly smaller so this is how he safeguards himself from like head entrapment and all of these scary things that can happen so At 37 weeks, he sent me down to a specialist to have a growth scan done to determine one baby's position and then two, the ratio. And at that appointment at 37 weeks, the baby was shown to be footling breach, which is the one type of breach that cannot be delivered. And the ratio was not within the safe range, meaning that the baby's head was still the largest part of its body. So I left the hospital specialist. Oh my gosh, you poor weeks. Like this is just, it's unbelievable at this point. Like I was like, this is almost comical now. Like I had to laugh about it. Although I obviously cried about it too, because I was like, this is just the wildest ride of my entire life. So at that point I called, you know, I called and talked to him and I was like, what are we looking like? What is this looking like now? And he was like, this is looking like you have three weeks, you know? And he's like, and I'm going to let you go to 41. So you have four weeks for this baby to find its way head down, you know, or else we, we have to do a C-section. We cannot deliver a foot lane breach. So my next appointment's 38 weeks I go in and we were ultrasounding every week at this point, just because it had all been so crazy. And the baby was somehow back to being Frank breach, which was incredible and had gained almost a pound since the growth scan. So now the baby fell within the safe range for breach vaginal. Yay. Right. So this is 38 weeks now, babies in the proper breech position, gaining enough weight and every ounce that they gain works 
works in that ratio's favor because it's making the abdomen of the baby obviously larger. So the, the, the longer you can stay pregnant if you're trying to do a breech vaginal, the better off you are to have success, which is a really interesting, it's interesting to think about that because you would think like, oh my gosh, the baby's just getting bigger. That's going to be more yeah. difficult. But in reality, it's the opposite of that because it's, it's safeguarding the mother and the baby to be sure that the mom is able to get that baby okay, out. That is the coolest thing I have learned. Isn't that know? cool? Like the ratio, like the engineering and the ma- mathematics and the like logistics of all of it. I'm just like mind blown over here. I'm like, so I'm this in- is what I'm saying. So like his office yeah. might be so dated and like just so old school, but he, that stuff does not matter. Like his yeah. brain and his, his care and the way that he practices is worth every bit of all of that. That is super cool. So, so I had a doula, which is another thing that I want to mention. I obviously with COVID ended up not getting to use her. So I hired her at 27 weeks and then we did everything over the phone, essentially, even through my, my delivery, I was texting her as I was making decisions in the hospital. So that was something I just wanted to make sure that I didn't forget. And this was the first pregnancy I used a doula. I didn't use one for my first two. And although it was a different experience because of COVID, it was something that I really recommend for women who are looking to be back or even women that are just looking to have a provider that is willing to do a breech vaginal, just because you need all the support you can get when you make decisions to do things like this that aren't really of the norm. You have to protect yourself. You have to protect your mental state. And that's another thing that I think is really important is gain your knowledge for yourself and form your own opinions before you share with the world what it is you're wanting to do, because fear is a very real thing. And you are very vulnerable when you're in, you know, when you're making decisions like this and you're trying to do something that's pretty uncommon. So those are just two things I wanted to make sure I noted. So here I am 39 weeks, baby's still Frank, Frank breach. I'll just call it good breach moving forward and ratio is getting better. Everything's great. At this point though, I'm starting to get, I'm starting to wonder like, okay, my third baby, I was having Braxton Hicks, but nothing that was making me think like that labor was coming. I never lost my mucus plug. Like my water didn't break. And I was just starting to feel like, oh my gosh, you know, like is labor going to start on its own? Cause I had never gone into labor before. And then I start, then your mind can become your enemy and you start thinking like, wait a minute, if it's not the baby's head that's pressing on my cervix, like how is my body going to dilate? How am I going to open? How is it going to know? And you just can go down this rabbit trail of like a place you don't want to be. And so I've, I really had to fight myself that last week of just staying in a good mental state and reminding myself, like my body was made to do this and I have to be patient right now. And however this works out, like I'm going to have a healthy baby at the end of it. And I know that I fought my absolute hardest. So 39 and six, the night before my due date, I started having just like contractions. It felt like Braxton Hicks, but they kind of stopped me in my tracks every so often. And I was like, mm, that's really, you know, interesting. I didn't say anything to anybody. I obviously, you know, I told my husband and that night I would have about one or two an hour that would wake me from my sleep and just, they were more uncomfortable. And then Monday, so that was on Sunday. And then on Monday morning, I woke up and I had my 40 week doctor's appointment and he checked my cervix. That was the first time that he did that because I I had heard from so many women on other episodes that 
they would think they were progressing and then they have their, they, they'd be checked and find out that they either weren't dilating at all or they weren't as far as they thought they were. And that that was just like another mental block. And I wanted, I had already had enough of those with the breach and the not breach and the, just all of it. I was like, I have to protect myself and I only want to know the information that I really need to know. So I didn't have my cervix checked until 40 weeks. So Monday morning at my 40 week appointment, he checked me. I was one and a half centimeters dilated and 50% effaced. So I was, I was optimistic about that though. I was like, you know what? This is the furthest in labor I've ever been. It might sound like nothing to, to other people, but to me, that was, that meant my body was doing something. Those contractions that I was feeling were working towards a purpose. So I went home the rest of that day and starting around three o'clock, I was having about two or three an hour where I was on the ground. I mean, I just, I couldn't stand. I was leaning over the counter and they weren't coming every six minutes. Like they tell you to wait for at that point, they were more like 15 to 20, but when they hit, they were very painful. So I knew that things were, things were progressing. So that night I told my husband, I was like, I really want to try to sleep at home tonight. You know, I feel like the baby could be coming, coming pretty soon, but around 1030, I had had about six in an hour to the point that the pain was unmanageable. And I knew that even though they weren't timing the way that labor contractions should, that there were things happening and I didn't want to mess around for the fact that one, I was a VBA to C and then two, that the baby was still presenting breach. So I told him, I'm like, I think we need to go to the hospital. Like I'm tough. And this pain is like, this is something real. So we show up to the hospital at 11, 11, PM. And they got me back to the triage room. The nurse checked me. I was two centimeters and 80% of face. So some progress from that morning. And she called Dr. Tate and asked what, what they wanted him or what he wanted them to do with me. And he said, tell her to walk the halls for an hour and check her and call me back and tell me what's going on. So I, I mean, I was in so much pain that I was able to walk, but I was like holding the bar and I was squatting. I was doing everything that I could, but I was just feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm only two centimeters and it's 80, I'm only 80%. And I just didn't really know what was going to happen. I knew I didn't want an epidural right off the bat if they did admit me because I had heard from so many stories that that really slowed things down. And I just wanted my body to have a fighting chance. So I spent that hour just reminding myself of all of the women that had done this before me and just trying to really stay in that mental space. And when the nurse came back to check me, she was like, oh my goodness. And I was not expecting to hear that. She's like, you're four, almost five centimeters dilated in your cervix. Like you're, you're 100% effaced. And I remember looking at my husband and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is actually happening. And so she called yes. back to Within an hour, I went from a two to almost a five, like my cervix completely effaced. And my doctor was like, all right, well, admit her and I'm on my way in. So he got to the hospital around one o'clock in the morning. By the time he got there, I was seven centimeters. Baby was still presenting breach. And um, he asked, he's like, what do you want to do about pain management? And I was like, I want, I want to labor as long as I can before you absolutely have to give me an epidural if you have to. And I learned something that night that I wasn't aware of. And he said to me, he's like, well, you don't have to have an epidural. He said, but if this ends up in an emergency C-section and you don't have an epidural, he said, you will have to be put completely under with general anesthesia 
during your cesarean, he said, because we can't spend the time placing an epidural to do local anesthetic if it becomes an emergency. He said, so really, this is a decision you need to make. He said, would you be okay if this ends that way and being put to sleep during the birth of your child? And we hadn't found out the gender of this baby either. Like there were so many surprises and things that I was looking forward to in the birth that at that moment, I just knew like I did not want to be put to sleep. I wanted to be as, if it ended in a C-section, I could have accepted it and I would have embraced it for every bit of it, but I would have really kicked myself for trying to be, I don't want to say stubborn, but for putting off something that could have been prevented. So I ended up getting the epidural at, eight centimeters and then we did like the side to side in the bed every 15 minutes my nurse helped flip me I had my leg up on the like the little stirrup thing they used to try to elevate to get baby to descend and my contractions completely stopped so I had a gut feeling that that was going to be the case just because I had heard that from so many other people and so Mm -hmm. Dr. Tate came in and he was like you're almost there. He's like, you're eight and a half centimeters. He's like, but your contractions went from being every four minutes to like almost being 20 minutes apart. He's like, so we can, we can attempt. He's like, we can break your water. Cause my, my water bag was bulging. It was going to happen anyway. So he, he broke my water just to give my body a little bit of like a natural kickstart. And he said, we're going to wait for 30 minutes and track your contractions before we decide, you know, Pitocin or whatever it is we're going to do moving forward. So in that 30 minutes, I did dilate to a nine, but my contractions were still very slow and not nearly as strong as prior to the epidural. So they gave me the most minimal dosage of Pitocin. It was like 0.2, I think. And within one minute of that being in my body, my contractions started hitting like every three minutes again. And I was your body was like, okay, let's go. My body's like, okay, let's get this thing done. (laughs) So I was very nervous about the Pitocin, but he was like, we're going to do the most minimal amount he's like you're almost there like we just we need a little something just to get you back to where you were and so honestly it was within two or three minutes I was at a 10 he checked baby's position and after breaking my water it allowed the baby to drop which is the thing with breaches it's, it's harder for them to get into the birth canal because it's not their head so the baby dropped and he was like okay he's like are you are you ready to give this a go? And I remember hearing those words and it was like, Oh my goodness. Like this is really, this is really happening. And he's like, another thing that I learned that I didn't know is that with VBAC, you deliver in the OR, at least at my hospital I did, I think because I had had two prior and because baby was breached. So they wheeled my hospital bed into the operating room and that was just so that we were there if needed, which, which really gave me peace of mind, but it was something that I wasn't really expecting. So if anyone listening to this is in a similar situation, maybe that's something to ask ahead of time so that you're not caught off guard. For me, it didn't bother me just because I had delivered both of my babies before in an operating room. So maybe it was just something that I was used to, but I could see how that could kind of catch you off guard if you weren't expecting it. So my, maybe just a question to ask your provider. So they wheel me into the OR. On the way there, my doctor asks me, he's like, we are a teaching hospital. He's like, all of the residents just got on the floor for the day. He's like, would you be open to people observing? And I was like, absolutely. And the reason that I felt so confident in saying that is because I realized that my doctor is older. And the fact that he was able and willing 
to take a chance on me to deliver my baby breach. That came from him having years of experience doing this. And what happens when he retires and there's another woman like me in a few years and the only reason she can't achieve a VBAC is because her baby is breached and there was nobody following my doctor that learned yep. the skill to do it. So it wasn't for me personally. I'm like, I don't really want, you know, like this is not going to be cute. You know, like this butt coming out of me, like it's not going to be something that's going to be super attractive for anybody to see. But I wasn't thinking about myself in that moment. I was thinking about all of the people down the road. And so I was like, of course they can be there. So in this little tiny OR, there was my doctor, my husband, my nurse, Abigail, who was honestly an angel on earth. Like that was total God totally orchestrated her to be my nurse that night because she was exactly what I needed. The entire NICU team has to be there for VBAC, which is something else I didn't know. And then these eight residents plus the anesthesiologist. So there were honestly probably 30 people in the OR for the birth of, of our baby. So we get in there and he is briefing the resident that's helping assist him. And I hear him talking in all of, all of these terms about, okay, well, if this is the presentation, when it comes out, this is what we have to do, so on and so forth. And his other rule is that the mother has to be able to push the baby out to the nipples before he's able to intervene. Whoa. So this is another him safeguarding himself is that if you can get the baby out up to the nipples, everything after the nipples is smaller than what's already come. So he had me do two practice pushes on my contraction. And with my two practice pushes, the bottom, the baby's bottom was coming down. So he was confident that I was going to be able to do this. So I ended up pushing for 15 minutes. Whoa, that's awesome. 15 minutes. Oh and I'm like hanging on to every word right now. <laughs> What's next? So, What's next? <laughs> so I had three really great contractions where I pushed three times through each one. So my first contraction with my first set of pushes was really good. My second one hit so quickly after I didn't really have the chance to catch my breath. So that wasn't as strong. And then by the third one, the baby was, was out. So he was wow. really awesome about telling me when to push and when to stop to allow my body to adjust, you know, to the baby coming through the birth canal. So I will say one of my biggest fears with the breech birth was what it was going to do to my vagina. Like I was like, yeah. no, you can't find that anywhere. Like people don't talk <laughs> about that. So I just had to ask them like, what's going to happen to me physically? It was something I was worried about. And he was like, there's a way that I help women push. He's like that. I honestly see more trauma with babies that come head first. And so that was very reassuring to me. And mm -hmm. I ended up, I didn't tear. I had no trauma, like by the grace of God and baby was born. Everything was healthy. It was a little girl, which we didn't have a gut feeling at all during our pregnancy, but our son, the whole time I was pregnant, kept telling me a baby sister, it's a baby sister. And so many people say like your kids know. And mm -hmm. so in my heart, I was like, this is probably a girl. And so when, when she was born and my husband got to announce the gender, you know, he was holding my leg and he's like, it's a girl. It was just, it was so magical and she was healthy and everything was great. And we got wheeled back to, to the room that I was laboring in and we didn't have a name picked out for her at all because we didn't know gender. I didn't know how this whole birth, how this whole thing was going to end. It was just, there were so many just deviations along the way that I was like, I need to meet this baby face to face, you know, before I'm able to to give it a name. And so we get back to the, to the room where I labored. I can't remember what it's called, but I had to deliver in the OR. So once we got back 
Dr. Tate brought all the residents in that were able, that was able to witness the birth and kind of like debrief them on what they saw. And he said to the residents, and this is how she got her name. He said, most of the time in a delivery, the words that everybody waits to hear is the baby is crowning. He said, Mm -hmm. well, obviously what you just witnessed, he said, that wasn't the case. He said, this baby was mooning. So we ended Uh up naming our Luna, which means moon in Italian. So she is our little Luna, which I love the name and think it's a beautiful name anyway. But I just felt like, wow, what a, like, what a testament to that whole journey. And then for the doctor, for that to be the first thing that he said, you know, not even five minutes after she was born. And we spent this whole pregnancy wondering, what are we going to name this baby? And it was like, she chose her name for herself. So we have Luca is our son, Lennon is our daughter, and now we have Luna oh my gosh, um, it's perfect. as our baby. So it's like incredible the way she just fit right into the flow of things and she's healthy. I cannot get over how incredible I feel, like just the difference in recovery from a C-section to a vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's enough to make it worth fighting for, just the recovery in itself. So that's my story. We did it. I honestly, I can't believe it, but it was incredible. And again, I just thank you guys for allowing women to share their stories because this is how we can find our strength and find our power. And it just, it really means a lot to me. Do you know what? I was thinking while you were telling your story, I was listening to your most recent podcast where I was like mm-hmm. waiting for baby news. <laughs> um, and you said, you said when you and Rico first started um, and moved to Georgia and you first start, you were first on the team and you were really intimidated with all the other players' wives and yes. because you were like the new people, right? And yep. you got in the elevator with the uh, starting quarterback's wife and she just greeted you with warmth and love and kindness. And by you were name, so yeah. surprised. <laughs> yeah, by your name. That's right. I yeah. remember that. Yeah, like, but also, you. also warmth and kindness. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it made you feel so so good, so much better, right? About Absolutely. all the circumstances. And and then you went on to say, now you are the one that's been there for a while and you get to welcome people like that and make them feel like they're just as important. And I was like, well, gosh darn it. It's the same way with sharing your feedback story. Like we've all been there. We've been pregnant. We've had our cesareans and we're like nervous. We don't know what to expect. And we're walking into this elevator that is birth. See all Mm. my like analogies or my, I love this. I love this. (laughs) We're walking into this birth and the people that are in the elevator with you are going to impact how you feel about your birth and your success, even though I don't know how you can be, I mean, I don't know how you can fail at being like a, a football player's wife, but like, <laughs> but, but seriously, like, I don't know, maybe there is, I don't know about that. I, I totally, know, I totally know where you're going with this. <laughs> but like, but seriously though, like, and now look at you, you're here, you've been through like all of it. We could, t- we could do an entire class just on your birth and all of the things that you went through, but now you're here and you get to inspire all the other women with your story that are walking up to the elevator right now, mm. intimidated and don't know what to expect. I have chills. And I just love yeah. that. I have chills well, too. Wow. I have chills. I might be cheesy or postpartum and hormonal, but I have chills all over my body, but that's what it's about. I mean, that yeah. is really, that is, that's like the heart of being 
being a woman. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. I think that, I think that we sell ourselves short when we aren't willing to be vulnerable and to be open. And I just, it's scary. Absolutely. Because that could have not went in my favor. And then I put, poured my heart out to the world, you know, about the desires of my heart. And that could have not worked out. You know what I mean? But whether it worked out or it didn't, I hope that by sharing my story and being brave enough to do that, that gives somebody else the strength to do it. Yeah. too. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say is, you know, I, for a little while was like hesitant to tell anybody my plans and everything. Cause I, if I, mm-hmm. if it wasn't, if it didn't work out in the way I was hoping, like, I didn't want to be like, Oh, well, look at mm-hmm. me. Like I just preached this and you know, whatever. And it didn't happen. yeah, but I'm so glad that I did. And I'm so glad that you did because you are educating people every day. I mean, people are listening and following and, and watching your story and listening to you. And I just, I think that everything that you've shared along the way is so inspiring. And honestly, all you're doing is planting a seed for everybody to go out and educate themselves further. And that's where it has to go. Like we all have to grow in our own ways. And for you, like you said, being brave enough to share this, this journey that is vulnerable, like you, you are vulnerable. You're oh my vulnerable. gosh, totally. And totally. here you are sharing with such a broad audience. You don't even know the people you're sharing with, right? <laughs> and right. Like, you don't even, you don't even, can't even put a face to a lot of no. these people who follow you. And so for you to be able to go out and share this with confidence saying like, look, I feel confident in the decision that I am making. I am confident in the journey that I am taking, whether it works out or it doesn't, this is what I'm doing. And I feel okay. And I feel proud of that. And I think well, having resources like you guys, I mean, that I can't, we can't leave that out. I mean, that makes such a difference to feel championed and to feel supported. And then not only the emotional aspect of it, but to be provided with the facts. I can't tell you how mm-hmm. many times I flipped th- back through that manual when I was like, mm-hmm. am I crazy for wanting this? Like, because the fear does get the best of you if you let it. But if you can just ground yourself with, knowledge and facts and remind yourself of those things with courses like the VBAC link and just listening to other women's stories. I think that you have the best, you know, the odds are in your favor. Yeah, totally. May the odds be in your favor. Ever in your favor. And not not be worried about changing providers. If you realize the last minute, that may be not the right place for you to be and things like that. Just taking the steps that you have taken you have to, to you have to these, to achieve these goals and so we're very proud of you and we're yeah. very honored well, that you I are appreciate here with you guys us. so much thank you so much for having me this is really like I said at the beginning like just the way it comes full circle I spent so much of my pregnancy listening mm-hmm. and now here I am getting to talk and it just really it's just truly incredible so thank you guys Oh, well, thank you. We, gosh, we need to connect. Like we need to just Let's. meet and have lunch. Okay. So I you're in Georgia that. and we're in Utah. So what's middle like Texas, Oklahoma. We I don't could know. do that. Maybe and if, Colorado. Wait, but here's the thing. <laughs> if NFL season is actually open to normal, I think we play two Texas teams. So we could potentially make that happen this year. Or if you ever play in Denver, See? that's like a oh, nine hour cool. drive for us. Yeah. Do you, have any, awesome. do you have any scoop on that you're allowed to share on the plans. <laughs> plans literally, literally I know, I know nothing. We're even day to day in our house. Like my husband's been yeah. working via zoom 
But mm-hmm. every day, you know, with however the world is changing, like they could call and be like, all right, tomorrow, everyone's meeting in the facility. Yeah. So no, right. I we know nothing. And but I really look forward to knowing something because it would be super nice to be able to like plan our life a little bit, you know, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> like yeah. to know to know what we're looking forward to these next few months. Well, but. and we had to cancel like we were planning to go to Louisiana Green Bay Wisconsin and Miami Florida this year to teach Mm. and train doulas but we had to cancel all of that and so and now maybe we can just go to Atlanta and then we can do a course in Atlanta Atlanta. yeah because Georgia needs some serious help let's be honest well let me help you okay perfect we'll do it seriously whatever you need you guys are the best (laughs) oh well we sure just love talking to you I mean I just love how you existed in your vulnerability. You let yourself open up. You let yourself see maybe what you could do differently and how how to change how you were feeling and how things went. And I think that, that that living in the vulnerability is where we really grow and learn, especially during pregnancy, which is really Goodness, vulnerable yeah. time. <laughs> but That's but thank true. you so much for, for spending your time with us and especially on such short notice. Like it was... I'm just so glad that everything worked out the way it did for you. And I've just been Thank seriously you. like every day checking for updates and checking You're for new so podcast sweet. episode. And I'm just hanging on every word. And so well, we just, you. we're so grateful for you for, for reaching Thank out you guys. It's so mutual. Thank Aww. you for everything you do. I can't wait. Can't wait to hear it. Thanks guys. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.